Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Rebecca Lynch is joining us via phone. Feeling a little under the weather today. We hope she feels better, but we're really glad she's able to join us. Rebecca, good to hear you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sorry, sorry you're feeling the way you are, but uh, we're glad you took the time to join us. We got a lot to talk about, lame duck. Uh, and Robert Craig joins us to have that conversation. Robert's the executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good day, everyone. So we are going to spend most of the show talking about the extraordinary lame duck session uh, that uh, passed this week. Um, but we'll also be joined by, we're going to have a couple of guests, uh, Greta Neubauer is going to join us, a state representative from the Racine area, to talk a little bit about the experience with the lame duck. We'll also be joined later by Evan Goyke, who's going to tell us too about lame duck, but is going to talk to us about some criminal justice bills that he has, and uh, hopefully look a little bit into the future of a better day, because this was a rough, rough week for Wisconsin. Um, most of our listeners are well aware, right, that we had... An extraordinary session where three bills were passed. Um, these bills were introduced late Friday, the way all good government is done, and then went through joint finance Monday. Quite an extraordinary day Monday. Both large rallies, you know, 1,000 people at the Capitol, hundreds testifying against, virtually nobody testifying in favor. Uh, but it was jammed through uh, joint finance, straight party line vote, and then on uh, Tuesday... Well, really, actually, Wednesday, early Wednesday, let's be clear, after basically 24-hour session that was largely um, not uh, nothing happening, um, but passed early morning, Wednesday morning. And as of recording here, Thursday morning, it's headed to Governor Walker's desk. And short of some sort of miracle, uh, the governor-elect Tony Evers is apparently going to try to meet with Walker and besiege upon him, <laughs> try to uh, convince him to veto this, but it's expected to pass. So with that, Rebecca, I wanted to start with you and give you the first crack, just your overall thoughts, uh, and then um, we'll get into some further details as we go, but just wanted to get your initial comments, and then we'll go to Robert. Yeah, you know, this is our ruthlessness that we've come to know um, from the Republican Party, uh, not just in Wisconsin, but throughout the country. And you've seen it really, um, you know, really chill folks when they hear about it, uh, changing norms and the disintegration of democratic norms from the top, from President Trump. Uh, and this is another example of that. And it's really frightening. And I think, you know, there's uh, together in like a new solidarity uh, and show up and show up together against these kinds of talk about that more today and and you know for for the months to come. But you know this is this is not normal. And so um, you know like like you said you know they met overnight. I think it was uh, Mandela Barnes Lieutenant that they came in the middle of the night like burglars and uh, just just passed these bills and you know we're continuing to see. You know I think this is. This is, like I said, this is a new type of ruthlessness that we're starting to see more and more of, and uh, it really is. Rebecca's words, ruthless and democratic norms. So I, this, is, this is all par for the course of the modern conservative movement of the last 45 years. It's really a movement operations, private economic gain, billionaires against majorities, even when majorities want to do things in order to advance the common good. And so 
The ruthless redistricting is an example of this. All of the voter suppression is an example of this. So this is just another stage, and this is a national strategy. It's going to happen in Michigan now. And so I, think, I don't think we should lose our sense of outrage. So I want to thank all the people who came out physically to protest, because it's physically important to show opposition in a democracy, but all the people who did a lot of other things, uh, like te phone calls, text messaging campaigns, our members all over the state, many of them who couldn't get to Madison for the protest, were heavily engaged and involved. And that's important to do, but let's just remember that when you have a movement like the modern conservative movement, which is anti-democratic fundamentally, the only way to defeat it is to take power away from it. And so the only way forward, they, they, everything they did, uh, some of it may be struck down in court, but that'll take a while. Some of it might not take as long, like the early voting restrictions that uh, Citizen Action has been very involved in, where there already is a federal court that struck this down before. Uh, but uh, if we take back the legislature, both the Assembly and the Senate, then we can change all of this. And so we could, and of course, if we take it back, it'll be because of Democrat outpouring, because quite frankly, the districts are still badly gerrymandered in favor of conservative Republicans. So this is, the, this is all about power, and we need to be clear on that. But also, I hope this educates uh, Governor Evers, and I'm not sure he needs education, but just in case, or anyone in his administration who thinks that there's going to be goodwill on the part of Speaker Voss and Major Leader Fitzgerald and their caucuses. He should be offering an olive branch. He's doing the right thing, but he should understand his enemy in this action should help him and everyone in his administration understand exactly what they're dealing with. So let's dive in on what I think is really important, because this is about power and this is about trying to seize power. Uh, let's talk about the early voting uh, absentee. Let's be honest, this is a restriction of absentee ballot early voting in our state. Um, Robert, you mentioned that there was a lawsuit that we were involved in along with One Wisconsin Now that essentially took what were previous restrictions um, and now have broadly opened it up. So, for example, any municipality, it's like 47 days, I believe, that you could have early voting. Um, and Wisconsin, here in Wisconsin, uh, Milwaukee and, and Madison definitely took advantage of that and some other municipalities. Um, but what's, what's fundamental is that the only thing, the only justification for this is to reduce turnout, right? To reduce the power of Democratic voting bases in Milwaukee and Madison when the reality is it, th there is no comparison to fairness when you're talking about a city the size of Milwaukee and what you need to do in terms of get that vote out versus a small rural area. Um, and so this, the only thing that's left about this is just simply a straight-out reduction in the amount of votes. And likely, good chance this is not going to stand up in court. We'll see. Voss and company remain very confident. But uh, I want to talk, get, get everyone's thoughts on the early voting piece, because to me this is really big in terms of long-term thinking about power. Well, winning these elections. And to be honest, there I'm not a lawyer. I haven't talked to our lawyers yet. One of our problems is our lawyer in the case, one of our lead lawyers, is now the attorney general. So he's a little less. I haven't talked to Josh about it. Josh, Josh Call was one of the lawyers in this case. But the case is still alive, actually, um, and heading towards the Supreme Court and had other challenges as well to the voter suppression laws. And so I think it's possible that the judge who struck it down could could very quickly say that this is also illegal. Uh, Voss is using the strange fig leaf uh, that somehow, because they are allowing weekend voting, they can restrict uh, the amount of time to two weeks. And 
I, I read the decision. There was nothing like that. They said the whole motivation for restricting early voting was racially motivated and that the law had to do with their desire to have African-Americans in Milwaukee vote less. I mean, that's so this, they found racist intent, literally, uh, at two levels of, of federal court. So I don't understand how their little tweak is legal. They're just hoping it stays on the books or they just want to create an issue for themselves. But a lot of them, you saw this with Voss, he said that the whole thing, the whole power grab, is just trying to create some semblance of a fair playing field. But in terms of this argument that it's unfair to rural areas, um, it's classic. It's like focus group. They're trying to play to play off of the urban-rural divide. Fact of the matter is, they could, if there's, if there are a lot of rural areas that want more extended early voting, they could have given the money to do so. But they say, oh, they can't afford it, and, and Milwaukee, because it's so big, gets to do it. And so we're going to make be fair by limiting voting options uh, for Milwaukee and other cities that want to have early voting. Rebecca. Yeah, you know, I think to tie it back to my comments at the top of the show, you know, this when I said this type of ruthlessness is something that we're seeing more of in more places, you know, I think you could say the same about voting rights. I mean, voting rights is the issue of our time. Once again, you know, I can't believe that we are having to talk about this. Voting is a civil rights issue again, but here we are. And we're seeing it all over the country. We certainly play it out in 2016. We saw it play out, uh, you know, in the midterms um, throughout the South and, and, you know, certainly in our state, it continues to be an issue. And this is, as we talk about all the time, the only way in which uh, Republicans can really hold on to the, you know, un unparalleled amounts of power that they've been able to amass from themselves, whether it's Citizens United, whether it's gerrymandering, whether it's voter ID, whether it's limiting access to the ballot by limiting when you could vote and how you could vote and how many machines they are. Um, this is something that we continue to see more and more of, and so it's really disturbing. And, you know, I, de I defer uh, to Robert, um, you know, in terms of how good our, our case is um, in various levels of court against, you know, these different attacks. But well, this is something that we're just seeing more of. Yeah. And, and, and who knows with our courts. But with that, Rebecca, we got to take a quick break on the back end of this commercial. We are going to be joined by State Representative Greta Neubauer. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're talking about the extraordinary lame duck session that just ended this week, and we're really happy to have a special guest with us, and that is State Representative Greta Neubauer, uh, who got to experience the lame duck uh, firsthand. State Representative, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, and thank you so much for all the work you do and covering this story. Well, it's quite extraordinary um, and clearly getting national attention. Um, but you, you're a new, you've only been on, on the job for a year, and so you have a fresh perspective, and we thought that that was really important, and, and also a perspective coming from uh, you know, clear progressive values. What was it like? Tell us a little bit more about um, how you experienced the lame duck session uh, late last week and into early this week. So, of course, we just found out uh, Friday... Uh, three days before we were called into the Joint Finance Committee, was called in to discuss these bills, that this session was happening at all. You know, there were rumors, of course, after Democrats swept every statewide election, the Republicans were not happy and that they were going to do what they could to desperately cling to their power. 
But, you know, what we saw was more sweeping than I think any of us could have possibly imagined. It was just an absolute and clear disregard for the votes that the people in Wisconsin took. You know, one of the themes that Republicans kept coming back to as we were in session and on the floor was, we're acting to protect our values, right? We're acting to protect the reform, quote-unquote, that we made over the past eight years. You know, but what they're saying is that they actually think they know better than the people of Wisconsin and that they are absolutely willing to disregard this vote and take any uh, take any matter, any, uh, you know, tactics that they can to undermine the fact that the people of Wisconsin said they want to go in a new direction, you know. Um, but what I will say, you know, I saw from both inside and outside the building is that as soon as this session was announced, as soon as people understood what was being done to truly undermine our democracy, they responded. You know, people were calling the Capitol. They were emailing. Folks in Racine were asking me, what can I do? How can I show up? I'm willing to do whatever it takes to stop these uh, these paragraphs from happening. Uh, people showed up in the Capitol. I believe the number was 1,425 registrants uh, against and one person speaking in favor of these changes in the, in the open hearing on Monday. You know, and that's similar ratios to what uh, my office got in terms of calls and, and what I was hearing from other legislators. You know, when we were in the Capitol, it was really unclear to us, of course, what was going on behind closed doors. Uh, many of you probably followed, but session was supposed to start for us in the Assembly at 1 p.m. It didn't start until late in the evening. Um, but, you know, what I really think we can take away from that is that Republicans kind of thought this was going to be cut and dry. They have the votes, right? They have the majorities in both houses. They have the governor uh, at this moment. But people showed up in ways that I think they were not even expecting. Um, and it meant that they were not able to whip the votes for all of the provisions they wanted to go through. And I think that's a really, really important lesson for all of us. You know, Wisconsin has been under attack uh, from the right wing, undermining democracy for eight years. And sometimes it feels like what we do doesn't matter outside the building, and they're just going to push everything through. But they did not have the votes for a couple of really, really destructive uh, pr provisions that were taken out of the bills or, or never taken up in the Assembly, you know, moving the Supreme Court election in 2020, um, even worse sort of gutting of the attorney general's powers. You know, they wanted to pass the pre-existing conditions bill that gave them a little political cover as they continue to go after the Affordable Care Act. But they were not able to do that. It's really important that folks in Wisconsin know that, you know, that bill would not have protected people with pre-existing conditions. It would have made everyone's costs, costs rise um, if the Affordable Care Act is undermined. So um, really from inside the building, we felt the incredible support and energy from folks um, inside and outside the building that were in that, in that fight with us, and, and that really mattered. And the important thing, Representative, on the pre-ex bill, just before Rebecca jumps in, is, is that they couldn't pass it because members of their caucus think it's too close to the Affordable Care Act. So this actually comes mm -hmm. back to them, they, they not having a consensus that we should even protect people with pre-existing conditions. Right, right. And I think that's, again, so important for people in Wisconsin to know. You know, they had members of their caucus who, as you said, you know, thought that this was too progressive of a bill. And this bill would not even have protected people with pre-existing conditions because most of them would not have be able to afford their health care if right. uh, the ACA is undermined. 
you know, I think one of the things that we are going to all have to continue to watch really closely is, um, you know, one of these provisions uh, in the bills means that Republicans are trying to undermine the governor and attorney general's ability to settle the lawsuit that would take us uh, out of the lawsuit that's challenging the Affordable Care Act. So, you know, we are going to have to watch closely. We are going to have to continue organizing on that issue. Um, and we're going to have to hope that uh, our the, the power of the people here is stronger than that of, of these uh, Republican legislators that are willing to willing to go to any means to preserve their own power. Um, I just want to really thank you, Greta, uh, for everything you did, not only as a legislator, but also as an organizer. And this is something that we talk about all the time in our movement. But, you know, we've got to be electing folks who have good core values and also are in touch with their community and know how important community is. And, you know, for folks um, who are listening on the radio or on the podcast and don't know, um, you know, Representative Greta Neubauer from Racine uh, did quite a lot over the last few days um, as an organizer to help. As, as she mentioned, you know, folks were reaching out to her and reaching out to others to plug in. Um, you know, I joined Greta. We did a mass organizing call. Um, we had a couple hundred people RSVP, and it included Greta and a number of other legislators, you know, reporting from, you know, the Joint Finance Committee itself, from other aspects of being a legislator during this extraordinary lame duck session. Um, also, you know, encouraged people to have house parties. It's actually Greta who came up with the hashtag Wisconsin is watching, um, which is something that, you know, echoed what we felt was so important, which is we, Republicans are going to try, and they did, to do this in the dead of night. And we wanted to make sure that they knew that we were watching. And whether it was people live streaming or following on the news or following on Twitter, that we were bearing witness to this. Um, and as leaders in our movement, as activists, as people listening to the show, um, that we were not only bearing witness to it ourselves, but that we were making sure our friends, family, community knew exactly what was happening. And I think that effort was extraordinarily successful in that um, it garnered a ton of, you know, national media attention, local media attention. Um, and as, as Greta said to me, you know, we certainly were winning the messaging war, um, you know, that, that folks understood what was happening, why it was happening, and how outrageous it was. And again, you know, that was in large part due um, to the efforts of a lot of people, um, certainly not uh, limited to Greta, but including her. I also want to thank, you know, all of the Working Families Party volunteers who were texting folks in these GOP districts. We had thousands of people um, from those texts tell us that they were going to call their state senators, the Citizen Action members who were phone banking. Um, like, it really was like a strong grassroots effort. And uh, I think that this is a really great place to build from because it's clear that you know, even once Tony Evers, um, you know, uh, takes the oath of office and is our governor, no longer just governor-elect, uh, we're still going to have to contend with these very gerrymandered um, Republican majorities. And it's clear that they're not going to put the interests of the people before the interests of their donors and their politics. So this is a good place to start from. And I just want to really commend everybody, including um, Representative Neubauer, for everything we did um, over the last week. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll just I'll just say, as Rebecca shared, we, we worked together pretty closely over the past couple of days. And all of the organizing that working families that that is an action that uh, the Democratic Party, the groups across the state did, um, it, it did matter. And, you know, I think one of the things that is most demoralizing to me about this moment is realizing that, you know, we all thought that 
Republicans were going to recognize that uh, their position had changed and recognize that they needed to start working with us in a bipartisan way. And what is clear is that that is not the case. You know, we are going to see uh, a really tough climate in the Capitol going forward. You know, we saw Republicans, again, just blatantly disregarding the will of the people. Um, there's a quote that, you know, I'm not going to get right, but I believe our leader Gordon Hinch shared on the floor, which is that Republicans in this moment are making clear that when their values are threatened and their their ideology is proving to be unpopular with the people, they're not going to change that. They're not going to move to look at what the people of Wisconsin want and actually um, try to reflect that in their party. They're going to go after democracy. And I'm certainly concerned that those attempts are going to continue. And it's absolutely going to be up to all of us to uh, watch them, to remember this day, to continue organizing. And I have no doubt that we all will come up with uh, meaningful ways for, for us to continue organizing in the next couple of days and really the next few years. And, um, yeah, and, and keep watching and keep keeping the pressure on with your representatives. Well, State Representative Neubauer, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us, tell us a little bit about your experience and to encourage people to stay engaged. We agree with you. We think a lot of the energy did uh, make a difference. It doesn't feel like that all the time, um, but we got to stay focused on building power, and we have really critical elections just right around the corner again in two years. So thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, and with that, we got to wrap up this section. We'll be right back after uh, this break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we are going to transition out of talking just explicitly about the lame duck and actually want to start looking forward and looking forward to the next legislature and some potential, an issue area that we think there can be real movement and actually potentially maybe some bipartisanship. I know it's hard to imagine that, uh, but we've talked about it before and that's criminal justice reform. And so we're, we're really fortunate to have a special guest with us and that's State Representative Evan Goyke, who has a lot of, uh, who's really been a leader on this issue. And so we wanted to have him in and chat about that. State Representative, thanks for joining us. Good morning, thanks for having me. So tell us why should we in this, in the, ashes, because we're going to assume that probably by the time folks listen to this Friday, Walker may have already signed this, signed these bills. But why should we be looking forward and why is criminal justice reform an area where there's actually real opportunity? It is. And, and I am I'm extremely confident that we can get some bipartisan legislation to Governor Evers' desks, uh, desk for signature next year. And I say that because on Wednesday, November 7th, so the day after the election, a couple of uh, my colleagues on the Republican side of the aisle called me. They, you know, this is, I'll just report to you what happened. Uh, they called and said, all right, Goyke, let's get to work. Um, let's, we've got a couple of different ideas on some uh, criminal justice reform bills, and we've followed up with uh, those initial phone conversations with some meetings and uh, as the Evers administration uh, and Josh Call's administration put together some of their policy people, we'll be meeting with them so that from the beginning, on January 7th, the first day of this new session, we have a sense of where we can collaborate. Um, this is an issue that has swept across the country, Republican, Democratic-controlled states, and Wisconsin is at a, a, at a point in time where our prison population is growing. Most states are going down, ours is growing, and we may need to build a new prison. 
Building a new prison and staffing it is very expensive. That expense brings fiscal conservatives to the table. They seek a way to avoid spending several hundred million dollars building a new prison. And that's a part of their motivation, uh, why they're calling me and why we're going to work together to avoid that. We can avoid building a new prison if we, if, if we act quickly in 2019 and make some reforms. I think it's great to hear your, there might actually be fiscal conservatives left. I've been kind of thinking we should abandon the word given Foxconn, given that the huge prison system in mass incarceration state was built by mostly by Republican governor. But uh, needless to say, there, there's maybe the lip service, actually. There's some, some Republicans with some genuine fiscal prudence left, and, so and that I'm, would be great. I'm not arguing they're consistently right. fiscally conservative, no, I know. but on this issue... No, no, I'm, I'm in good faith, it's... assuming that they are talking to you in good faith. I'm just saying it's good to hear. Uh, glad and it maybe means there's a way to work together. And, of course, they may be just thinking about the cost of the prison. They need to also think about the incredible social economic costs of needlessly incarcerating more people than our country historically or any other country in the world is incarcerated. Right? I remind them of that yes. from time to time. But, <laughs> uh, I, you know, to me, it, whatever their motivation is, whether it's genuine or not, uh, at this point in time, given the makeup of the legislature, I need their support and their leadership. And whatever brings them to the table, I'm happy to work with them on this issue and get something done. And it's way better than the ads they ran against Evers, which they seem to abandon because they didn't move the polling numbers, I guess, that claimed he was, by cutting the prison population half, a pledge he made, which is great pledge, uh, that it'd be releasing, releasing dangerous rapists and murderers onto the streets of Wisconsin. Yeah, the ads didn't work. And, and so essentially, uh, here's what listeners should, should watch out for. Lowering your prison population isn't rocket science. Less people need to be admitted and more people need to be released. It's a pretty simple math equation. And if you look at Wisconsin's current policies to reduce admissions, we need to tackle revocations. That's the way that people are serving. And in Wisconsin, you can actually be sent back to prison even though you didn't commit a new crime. A rules, we're going to tackle that. And then on the release side, uh, with truth and sentencing, there's no more getting out early and expand ways to reward people that take advantage of their time and the opportunities they may have while incarcerated. So uh, if they complete their GED or they get a certificate in some kind of um, uh, make them more employable and less likely to reoffend, that should be rewarded with uh, a, a reduction of their incarceration time. Rebecca? Thank you so much, uh, Representative Goyke, for leading on this issue. I think there are a lot of really wonderful advocates, and in particular, I want to highlight the faith community um, across Wisconsin that's really taken up, in addition to, um, you know, folks at Citizen Action and, and many other organizations. Um, I wonder, for listeners who are hearing about this, who understand that mass incarceration is, uh, you know, one of the key human rights issues of our time and how dire the situation is in Wisconsin and want to help and want to plug into this effort. Uh, if there's a way um, for those folks to be in touch um, and kind of like follow you and your efforts, uh, represent Gorky, maybe, you know, figure out ways that they can write letters to the editor, call their, you know, state representatives. I think it's probably really important that people are calling not just Republicans, but also Democrats and voicing their concern on this issue and support for different proposals. Um, and so I just wanted to ask, like, what are some good ways for people to kind of like follow what's going on and plug in? Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. Um, you mentioned the rise of what I would call the religious left and uh, the work that Wisdom has done and Expo. These are statewide organizing uh, entities that have really 
uh, changed the dialogue publicly, Citizen Action, a part of that work. Uh, no, very, not as much as we'd like, but well, I, I want to give all the credit to Wisdom they, and Expo. They, they, really. they, they were doing this work a yeah. decade ago right. or longer. Exactly. And they have really changed the landscape. And so um, if, if you're not familiar with what Wisdom does, you should look them up. Um, the local chapter of Wisdom in Milwaukee is called MICA. Uh, there are local chapters in communities around the state. That's a great way to plug into this issue, to learn more about it, to meet the men and women that have been in the trenches fighting on this issue for the last several years. Uh, and then and then moving forward, I, I think you're going to see this, this next legislative session a very unique and strange coalition of groups outside of the elected uh, legislators. So I think uh, Americans for Prosperity, who just got off the campaign trail spending millions of dollars on uh, to re-elect Governor Walker. They are the Koch's the, civic the, engagement the, arm, if correct. you call it civic engagement. And <laughs> they are advocating for justice reform and the reduction of the prison population. They helped uh, sponsor uh, a, a piece, a policy piece that was circulated to the legislators a couple of months ago. And you know, it's a blueprint for reducing the prison population in the state of Wisconsin. And so if we can bring them to the table and, you know, it's 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 going to be interesting. But if Citizen Action or the ACLU and Americans for Prosperity can uh, come together on this issue, we, we unite in a really unique bipartisan, uh, in a really strange way. But if that is what it takes to get uh, this legislation passed and signed into law. So let me follow up on Rebecca's question. So there's the whole question of getting a bill introduced, and I guess Rebecca's question to that would be, is there things people can do now to make sure this bipartisan bill happens? And then there's a the second stage, the bill's actually there, and you have to get it moving, right? Is, so at this stage, uh, do you, what do you think is most useful people to do as re- following I, Rebecca? I, I think from those people, if you still have enough energy left from calling us over the last 72 hours... Just contact your elected representatives and ask that this be a priority. Ask them to watch for legislation forthcoming. Ask them, tell them that reducing the prison population is important to you. Tell them that you don't want to build a new prison. Uh, We don't have the details yet. We don't have an individual bill. We can't introduce a bill until January 7th when the new session starts. And, And it may take a little longer than that. Uh, until the bills are are public and there is an actual numbered bill to rally behind. But please contact. It's a way, these type of communications, and and I'm telling you this firsthand as somebody that receives them, if if I get a dozen people from my community that tell me to watch out for an issue, I do that. And when the bill comes across my desk, I read it. Not that I don't read other legislation, but I'm Mm -hmm. flagging it. My staff is tracking it. I'm meeting with the bill's authors. I'm, I'm doing the research it takes, even if it's an issue area that I know little about naturally from my own personal experience. So call. Tell them no new prison. Engage in criminal justice reform. Tell your representatives that you want to see a big bipartisan victory on this. And I, I want to underscore our wisdom affiliates. Um, there, a number of our listeners are co-op members. We have there are wisdom affiliates in almost every region where we are. So please, if you want to dive deep, uh, those folks have been working, you know, a, a long time on this. It's an excellent place to to go a little deeper and to go I- deeper with a partner who's a core partner aligned with us. I highly recommend uh, and, and, that. 
and Expo is part yep. of Wisdom, and Expo is the organizing force of ex-prisoners, and they're the experts, and they're going to be able to tell you, Evan, no, no, don't do it this way. That actually will have unintended consequences. Do it this way. And, right? and in, this, in, in this issue area, we really have an, an incredible voice of those that have been incarcerated at the table telling us uh, you know, their experience and guiding us on how to fix the problem we've created. Well... We really appreciate, first of all, your leadership on this issue, which we agree uh, with what Rebecca stated. It's absolutely the issue of our time, and it's a major, major uh, uh, question of uh, rights for everyone. Um, but thank you for coming and talking with us, and we will follow up on this next year as soon as we get some bills drafted and find out how we move next. So thank you very much, uh, State Representative me. Goyke. Thank you. But after that, we got to take a break here at Battleground Wisconsin. You're listening to Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. And we spent the early part of the show talking about the lame duck. And uh, the last segment, we started looking forward to 2019 and looking at what we might be able to do around criminal justice reform with uh, State Representative Goyke. We thank him for joining us. Um, But now we are very fortunate in continuing our forward look uh, into 2019, we are joined by state Supreme Court candidate, Judge Lisa Neubauer. Judge, thanks for joining us to talk a little bit about your uh, campaign you have coming up for Supreme Court next year. So thank you for having me, Matt. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to talk with you and to reach out to your members. So let's get, let's get a little background, um, since not everybody may know you, but let's, let me just start by saying for our listeners, this is the state Supreme Court race next April. There'll be a primary, if there is, uh, in February, third week of February. Um, but this is to replace uh, Justice Shirley Abrahamson. And, you know, we here at the Battleground Wisconsin love her, and she is, quite frankly, a historic figure. So very important seat you're replacing. So tell us, tell us a little bit more about yourself and why, why you're, you're going after this, uh, this important position. Wonderful. Well, thanks again. I'm really thrilled to have this opportunity to talk with you. Yes, when Justice Abramson, people started um, realizing that she probably wasn't going to seek re-election in April of 19, so many people reached out to me and encouraged me to do this run. And as I thought about it, I just decided, yeah, I really need to do this. This is not a time in our state where I felt I could sit on the sidelines. So I've thrown my hat in the ring. I'm, uh, I'm Lisa Neubauer. I'm the chief judge of the Court of Appeals. We have 16 judges on our court across the state. I've been on the Court of Appeals since being appointed by Governor Doyle in 2007. So in January, I'm coming up on 11 years on the court. I was appointed to be the chief by the Supreme Court in 2015 and again this spring. And I'm running because I am so committed to making sure that our judiciary in Wisconsin is fair, impartial, and independent. The true third branch that we absolutely have to have in a good democracy and, um, and, and, and it is so important, not only to our judiciary, to our justice system in our state, but frankly to the, you know, the fundamentals of our democracy. So, so I, I threw my head in the ring as soon as um, Justice Abramson announced that she wasn't going to seek election in, in May of um, this, this year. 
and I've been um, I've been sprinting every single day because I am so highly committed um, to making sure that we have a fair, impartial, independent um, judiciary. Could could you talk a little bit more about that in terms of this fair, impartial, independent judiciary? Obviously, um, we've just gone through the last uh, week or so with this lame duck session. Um, just this hyper partisan, hyper polarized, and quite frankly, undemocratic. I'd call it unconstitutional effort, and it's this is built on a decade plus now, long time, right? Of this right wing sort of building a movement, which is in is all in our courts. And our courts now are seen as is hyperpartisan and and captive to big moneyed special interests. And so, could you talk more about this vision you have? How you know how that squares with the current court we have, and and just sort of like um, how how you view that as central and important uh, in in terms of the kind of vision you have for for the courts. Right. Well, again, I've been I've got a deep history now, not only on the Court of Appeals, but I was a litigator for 20 years before that. I clerked for Judge Barbara Crabb in Madison before um, starting in the law firm that I worked at. So I've been in the law for 30 years, and I am and I am deeply committed to making sure that the public has confidence that our court system is fair. So when people walk through the doors of our courtrooms, whether it's at the circuit court, the court of appeals, or the Supreme Court, people need to know that they are going to be met with a fair, impartial, independent judiciary, whether it's the trial judge, the court of appeals, or the Supreme Court. You know, so many people in our state who go before our courts have so much to lose and so much at stake. You have people who are at risk of losing their liberty, their house, their home, their children, their rights. And so we have to have a court system that people feel and, 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 and have confidence is going to be a level playing field. The outside money that's come into our um, Supreme Court races has really undermined that confidence, the dark outside money. And so that's what I'm fighting for. I'm fighting to protect our judiciary. And it is a message that's working. I have been all over the state. I've been to uh, 38 courthouses, you know, (laughs) literally hundreds of events, spoken with thousands of people. And everywhere I go... You know, people tell me when I, well, people nod and and agree we have to have the independent, impartial judiciary that's there for the people. So I've had um, the very, I'm very, very blessed and very encouraged. I have over 300 judges um, supporting my candidacy, and that is, I believe, quite unprecedented. We've... um, We've, again, wherever I go, whether it's, you know, Milwaukee County, where more than 40 judges were publicly supporting or on board with our campaign, um, or up in, you know, the farthest corners of our state, over to Grant County, up in Douglas County, you know, the two judges in Superior, the DA, the sheriff, all with me. And it's a real judicial lean-in, and it's a real lean-in not only by judges, but by sheriffs, by DAs, by public defenders, 
by citizens and by local electeds, that there is just a deep longing to make sure that our judiciary is protected, that it is the, the you know, the third branch that's there for the people of our state. So one one sort of, and I won't call it policy, but just getting your sense of sort of your core values in response to an issue that um, we think is really critical. And we just had uh, Representative Goyke on talking about criminal justice reform. Could you talk a little bit briefly before we, you know, close up and you give information about how people can contact you, just a little bit your thoughts about how, what role the Supreme Court may have in trying to help uh, push back against sort of the mass incarceration that's been going on that disproportionately impacts people of color and, and, in our uh, in our state, yes, yes. Um, you know there are there are a lot of. Um, well, I've been all over the state. As I said, I've been to so many courthouses. I sit on in the scene. I don't. I'm not a member because I don't qualify. But I've gone to the criminal justice coordinating committee meetings. I'm obviously being in the judiciary. I'm very familiar with so many of the efforts that have been going on at a local level to, um, to address more effective justice strategies. And that, by that I mean things like diversionary programs, things like alternatives to incarceration, drug and alcohol treatment courts, mental health courts, um, pretrial release based on evidence-based decision-making. There are, there are, um, a lot of innovative things going on at the local level in our courts, and the trial courts need support for that. They need education, they need training, they need grant money. In some cases, they need you know lobbying in the legislature to get to get financial support or from their county boards. Um, and that is the kind of thing that the Supreme Court can take a leadership role in you know, encouraging those kinds of programs that really more effectively address, you know, addiction, just plain old addiction or mental health that, um, you know, that the folks come before our courts are facing and, frankly, more effectively addressing the problems that people have in their life so that they can get back on their feet. Well, we want to thank you for, first of all, for running. It, it's an uh, absolutely critical position at this time, and uh, I think you laid out just how critical an independent judiciary is. Um, but uh, I want to thank you for running. And so let our listeners know if they want to get involved and want to contact you or uh, get, get involved in the campaign, what they should do. Oh, my gosh. Well, we're going to need all the help we can get. You know, this is a, this is a low turnout rate. It is also a low budget raise. You know, we don't have anything close to the kind of budgets that the partisan candidates have. So it's all about grassroots. It's all about word of mouth. It's all about, you know, shoes on the ground. So um, you can uh, reach out to me at judgenewbauer.com. It's our website. Right now we're circulating nomination papers, and I am planning to um, collect at least 4000 um, so that help with that would be amazing. And it's really all about getting the word out and spreading our message. I do feel like we are going to have a great network of grassroots support all over the state. 
and I'm very, very grateful, Matt, and thank you for this opportunity. Well, we thank you for taking time to come and talk to our listeners, let them know about the campaign and for running. And with that, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. Of course, we want to thank Judge uh, Neubauer for joining us. We also want to thank Representative Evan Goyke for joining us and Representative Greta Neubauer for joining us talking about the lame duck. We'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. 